This is your wallet. I've got my hands full with your credit cards, ID, and that Froyo loyalty card. So I was thrilled to learn about the new digital wallet in the Giant Eagle app. It'll let you store, manage, and spend all your gift cards right from your phone. E-gift cards you buy from Giant Eagle and GetGo will load automatically. And you can even transfer plastic gift cards there, too. Download the Giant Eagle app and start using the digital wallet today. Visit GiantEagle.com backslash wallet for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Dr. Low Radio, where you hear the very best in natural medicine, and I mean the best. I am your host, Dr. Lauren Noel. Thank you again for tuning into the show. We have a great show in store for you guys tonight. Been really looking forward to this for a while, and I've read the book officially. I know sometimes I get through like half the book of some of these shows, but I actually read the book, and I loved it. And I'm really excited to interview the, the authors of It Starts With Food. They're on the show tonight. Uh, let's see here. A couple announcements. Next week, going to be interviewing J.J. Virgin. Um, she's the author of Six Weeks to Sleeveless and Sassy or Slim and Sexy or something like that. It's basically getting your arms just looking amazing. And she has amazing arms. So if you are sensitive about your arms and want them to look fabulous, and tune into next week's show. And we also have some really, really good shows lined up for the next few weeks. So keep tuning in. We are doing a special show tonight on Wednesdays because these two authors, they have designated Tuesday as their sacred day that they don't work. So we've had to accommodate. But we are happy to do that because they are so worth it. And uh, we have on the show tonight Melissa and Dallas Hartwig. They are the creators of Whole9Life.com. Definitely check out their website. I love all their writings. I love just their whole style. I remember meeting them at um, the Ancestral Health Symposium this last year and immediately caught their whole vibe. I loved it. And they just look like the epitome of health. And you guys, if you checked out their photos, you know that they practice what they preach. And that's so important when you're learning about health from, you know, from particular from a particular expert. You want to know that they're doing what they what they tell you to do. So you can tell that these guys do practice what they preach. Um, so check out their website whole9life.com. Um, if you guys want to call in and in, uh, ask any questions during the show, you know, you can do that 818-495-6919. And of course, the Facebook page facebook.com/drlownoel and twitter.com slash Dr. Lauren Noel. And if you're local in the San Diego area, I'm going to be doing a paleo event next Thursday. I'm going to do a lecture on it at the clinic, so check it out, um, bloomnaturalhealth.com. You can find us on Facebook for more information. And it's I think we're almost full for our RSVP, so if you're local, definitely get on the list, and hopefully we can still squeeze you in, and we're having it catered. It's going to be fabulous. So for tonight's show, we've got these fabulous authors on the show, Dallas, Hartwig, he earned his B.S. in anatomy and physiology and his master's in physical therapy from Andrews University. So he's been a licensed physical therapist since 2001. And he co-owned and operated a strength and conditioning facility with Melissa until founding Whole9 in, in November of 2009. So he's a certified sports nutritionist and also a certified kettlebell instructor. And Melissa, she was born in New Hampshire. She's an East Coast, girl, East Coast girl until she moved to Salt Lake with her husband Dallas in 2010. And apparently she quit her highest paying job she'll ever have in April of that year to, found, to find found Whole9, an online health and fitness community. Since then, the Whole9 has blown up. It's grown to serve over 500,000 visitors per month. And I laughed when I read this. She is, once again has health insurance. So we're excited for Melissa. I just got health insurance myself. So happy to have that. Um, it Starts With Food is Melissa's first book, although she writes many of the articles on the whole nine. She's also, um, she's also into health a certified sports nutritionist through International Society of Sports Nutrition, and she coaches kettlebells as well, and she is working towards her master's degree in health and nutrition education from Hawthorne University. And these two get to travel a lot, which to me is like a dream job to be able to travel with your partner. I love that. Welcome to the show, you two. Thanks for being on. Thanks so much for having us, Dr. Lowe. It's awesome to be here. Yeah, yeah. So I, I looked on your Facebook page. Apparently, um, Dallas shaved his beard today. Is that right? <laughs> I I did, and apparently um, there's some controversy about the science, but apparently I immediately lost 14 to 17% of my total strength. <laughs> well, <laughs> got some Samson syndrome going on, huh? All right, well, we'll see. Maybe Melissa will be able to, you know, squat a little more than you. <laughs> I hope I don't have to oh. grow a beard for that to happen, but <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we don't want that to happen. No no woolly women running around here. Well, you two, mm-hmm. I love your book. Thank you so much for writing it. I've already and I'm not just pumping you guys up, I actually told like 
at least five patients already. I want you guys to go get this because it, it makes my job a lot easier to have something that's written that um, goes into a lot of detail about what I talk about with patients on a regular basis, and they're able to read it, and it, it totally, like, it's their language. They can just get every single bit of it, and um, it's just, I love that. So thank you for making my job easier. Oh, well, thanks so much. You know, where we kind of talk at our seminars, you know, we're not biochemists. We're not uh, organic chemists or medical doctors, so we wrote the book for the perspective of we need to take a lot of this science, the information, the research, the, the stuff behind our recommendations, and we need to translate it. You know, the whole time we were writing, we just kept saying, like, I'm writing this for my mom, for your mom, um, so that right. everybody understands the concepts and can apply it. Yeah. Yeah, I have um, a couple family members listening in that I've been trying to coach them with some health stuff recently. And, you know, they're not scientists, they're not doctors, and I have to really try to speak, you know, their language. So I'm, I'm going to have them read the book and definitely having them tune in. So it's really, really great. So thanks again. And let's hear a little bit about your guy's story. I mean, what got you into this, and why did you decide to go this route and write this book? Um, there's, there's actually a few different reasons why uh, why we decided to write the book. And, you know, we've been fortunate enough to reach – um, I, I suppose it's not actually an exaggeration to say hundreds of thousands of people at this point via uh, our website, via the uh, nutrition seminars that we travel to, to present. And But we, we had bigger dreams in terms of spreading this message because we started to understand when we interacted with, you know, hundreds and thousands of these people that this was such a profoundly life-altering message that we didn't want to be restricted to people who use the Internet as a primary medium for communication or who have the ability to, you know, travel to, some, to, to one of our nutrition seminars, we really wanted to make this something that literally anyone could get anywhere. And uh, so we kind of took the core of our, of our message, um, and, you know, and, and I think the title of the book is really telling about what, what we think of as very central. Um, uh, but we took the core of that message and then put it into a format that, we hope is, is legible and accessible for literally anybody, including my mom and your mom. So um, that's kind of, I guess, where we were really going with it. Yeah. And did you guys have your own kind of, your own personal experience with going into this health route, like your own stuff that happened with your own health? Oh, yeah, we definitely did. And we, we write about this in the very first chapter of the book. Um, we each had an experience with what we now call our Whole30 program, which back then we just sort of defined as like this super squeaky clean, 100% paleo eating protocol that was first introduced to us from Rob Wolf, who's been an amazing friend and mentor for us and, and really the foundation of our Whole30 program. We went to a, one of Rob's seminars. He said, look, you got to give this thing a try for 30 days, you know, eliminate all the stuff that may be uh, negatively affecting your health. And so we were sitting around a gym one day in April 2009, and it was a really difficult training session, and we were both feeling kind of beat up. And Dallas said, I think we should do this 30-day Rob Wolf thing. I think we should do it really strict for 30 days and see how we feel. And I was like, great, I'm down. Like, when do you want to start? And he was like, how about right now? And I remember holding a package of Thin Mints in my hand and looking at them so sadly and thinking like, okay, I guess we start now. So that was sort of you know, the beginning of our Whole30 program experienced such tremendous improvements in physical stuff, um, in mm -hmm. how we felt, in our performance in the gym, in our recovery, in energy, in sleep. And for me especially, I this experience changed my relationship with food in such a permanent fashion. It was literally a life-altering experience. And from that, our Whole30 born. That's great. And I, I know um, something I've heard from a lot of patients putting them into this program is that they, they really experience a decrease in pain with, you know, pain and inflammation. I know that Dallas had a pretty, pretty similar experience, right? I did. I mean, I uh, used to play uh, competitive level volleyball and um, had a shoulder injury that shouldn't have been such a big deal, but it continued to kind of plague me and, and be a problem. And um, about that same time after I'd had that uh, inflammatory, uh, you know, condition in my, in the shoulder. Even though it should have gone, I was young and healthy and active, and uh, a, you know, trained physical therapist, like knew all the quote unquote right things to do, but it wasn't really getting better. And um, about that time, I stumbled across some uh, some research by Lauren Cordain, 
and he wrote about some uh, some potential models for how some dietary components might interact with people who are genetically predisposed to rheumatoid arthritis. And I thought that was really interesting because my, my younger sister has rheumatoid arthritis, and I always kind of kept up with some of the, the scientific research on that topic. And so it kind of got the ball rolling around in my head, like if some of these dietary components might be problematic for people with autoimmune disease, might that be something that could be extrapolated to a larger population, including myself, who doesn't have autoimmune disease but have some inflammatory conditions. In this case, I had a, you know, uh, a shoulder tendonitis. And so reading that, reading some of uh, some other of uh, Dr. Cordain's work, I thought, well, like, I'll just, I'll just cut it out. And, and, and the um, article I read happened to be about legumes and some of the, the components there and some theoretical basis for, like, how that might work. And I was like, well, I'll just cut them out and no big deal. I'll just do without. And within about five or six weeks, my shoulder pain that had been lasting about almost 18 months prior to that was totally gone and knock on wood has been I've been totally pain-free um, since then so that really got my attention I kind of really dove in more into the science of you know I'm like well like dietary components have a, a significant potential to affect our inflammatory state and, and certainly our health and that's not news to anybody, but it was news to me to the degree and, and to the specificity um, with which specific dietary choices. So I kind of dove into that and then just voraciously consumed stuff from there. Yeah, I love it. And I know that having that personal experience really fuels that whole mission that you guys have to help people because you really believe in what you do. So it's really, really cool, and I, I get that from you guys, so it's great. Um, one thing I lo- absolutely love about this book, and I love how you started off with it, is really delving into the, the psychological aspects of food and how oftentimes when you read uh, any kind of book that deals with nutrition or diet or, or wellness, you, that's like the last chapter you usually find. But I love that you started right off the bat because that is so incredibly important. So can you kind of talk a little bit about that? Sure. That was the chapter. Um, we worked really closely with a couple experts in the subject matter, including Jay Stanton, who runs the org blog, and he's just fantastic with this kind of information. We open with the psychological response to food and, and changing your relationship with food because that's where it starts. You know, a lot of people expect us to go in talking about calories or talking about macronutrient ratios, but just changing the food on your plate isn't going to provide you with the long-term sustainable changes that you want to see in your life if you don't change your habits and your patterns. And I don't think people understand how the modern foods in today's society are designed to promote cravings and overconsumption and an unhealthy psychological response, which leads to things like using food as reward or punishment or using food as comfort, using food emotionally. And I think once you pull the veil back on how some of these are impacting you psychologically and why you are having a difficult time giving up these foods that you know don't make you healthier but you keep coming back to despite your best efforts, despite your willpower, once we pull the veil back on that and explain it's not about willpower, it's not that you're lazy, it's not that you're um, willless or weak, it's because hormones, and the, the way these foods are designed literally make you have this unhealthy relationship with them. Try to address that and talk about that first because understanding that and addressing that, if you fix that, the rest of this is easy. Yeah. Yeah, and just how when we're super stressed out, we reach for food. That's our comfort, you know, and it actually does make us feel better, you know, it does serve a purpose. So then the next time we're stressed, we have that encoding, you know, it's like it's just these connections are made in our brain. We're wired to then go and reach for the same thing that made us feel good the last time, you know? Yeah, it's, you know, it's learned behavior. It's habitual. It goes all the way back to childhood when if you were good, you got a treat, or if you finished all your vegetables, you got dessert. Um, And the problem is that these behaviors, these patterns, and, and specifically the kinds of foods that we tend to uh, overconsume, and we kind of coined a term called overcarbsumption. They are nutrient poor. They're calorie and carbohydrate um, rich. They're super normally stimulating. 
these foods literally rewire your brain. They rewire pleasure and reward and emotion pathways and make it that much harder for you to change or break that pattern. So in the book, mm-hmm. we outline our strategy for still allowing you, still encouraging you to enjoy delicious, sweet, satisfying foods, foods that pleasure and that give you reward, but that reconnect you with the dense source of nutrition and the satiety factors that always accompany these foods in nature. Yeah. I I was uh, reading that one part of your book where you said that there was a woman that was at one of your seminars and she said, well, if I can't have... Um, you know, if I can't have what was it, equal or or Splenda, what do I? What can I put on my strawberries to make them taste sweet? How are they going to taste sweet? You know, it's like our 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 taste buds are just so burned out by the way that we eat that we can't even taste something sweet like a strawberry anymore. Yeah, it's it's really um, it, it's really fascinating stuff, and the and the more we learn about this and, and sort of some of the underlying physiological mechanisms for how those things work and and, and why that is. Um, it's really super interesting, but we make the case in the book and, and in our uh, in our seminars that so much about uh, a healthy diet is about this concept of a hormonal balance, and a hormonal response to food is such a powerful uh, mediator or indicator on what your body's going to do with the you take in and how it's going to manage it and how much of it will be used for fuel and how much of it will be stored as body fat and um, but one thing that's really fascinating, um, and we write about this in the book, but when you have some hormonal dysfunctions, and specifically with the hormone called leptin, um, leptin actually affects the way your taste buds sense sweetness. So for people that have what we call leptin resistance, um, you can actually have a, a altered taste perception of a very sweet taste so that people have that, that situation, like the woman we use as an example, where something that is very sweet like strawberries doesn't register as significantly sweet because of the underlying hormonal dysfunction, which we think can can often be largely corrected by making better food choices. Yeah, it's kind of like the the person who says, well, I have I have cereal in the morning and they, I put sugar on it. I remember having like a friend stay over when I was a kid and I would have some cereal because I was a cereal addict. But it, to me, yeah. it was sweet enough, and my my friends staying over, they would just pour sugar on their already sweetened cereal, and it's like, you've got to be kidding me, you know? But it's just Yeah, <laughs> and so that hits you a couple ways. You know, it hits you from a hormonal perspective. Your hormones are now underlying some of these changes in your taste and your perception, and then you, you literally burn your taste buds out on the ability to appreciate the natural flavors found in fruit when you're adding these super normally stimulating um, additives, things like the sugar and the high fructose corn syrup, and things like seed oils and artificial fats, things like uh, you know MSG and salt from a shaker. It's you get you end up with foods that are sweeter and saltier and fattier than you'd ever find in nature, and that plus the hormonal dysfunction only serves to make you want more and more of those exact kinds of flavors. Wow. Yep. Yeah, I, I love how how in your um, you you outline something called your good food standards and and how this particular diet, which isn't really a diet, it's a lifestyle. It's something that can be sustained forever. It's not like something you have to do for thirty days and then stop. Um, it promotes healthy psychological response, so brain function. It promotes healthy hormone response. What we were just talking about, a healthy gut, immune function, minimize inflammation. And I know people are listening, going, a diet can do all of that. How how can that be? You know, we didn't actually used to know that a diet could do all of that, too. And so over the last uh, five-plus years, we've learned so much about uh, about how that works and, and so much from the sort of science and physiology side of things. Um, but it all really goes back to, you know, the, the reason why we, talk, you know, why we named our book what we did, uh, It Starts With Food, is because we think that no matter whether you're talking about longevity and quality of life, whether you're talking about athletic performance, whether you're talking about disease prevention or weight management, all of those things start with food. And so our four good food standards are really representative power that making good food choices has um, to influence all of those different aspects of your life. And so we're not really we're not really ones for for overstatement and for hyperbole. So when we say food can change, we actually mean it can change your life. 
Yeah, agreed, completely agreed. Um, I'm a big junkie for endocrinology. <laughs> I was, um, I think I was like, I don't know, in elementary school, and I was like, I want to be an endocrinologist, which is similar to what I do now. I mean, I do a lot with helping to optimize hormones. I just, I, I just think that hormones are like total brain candy. I could study it all day long. So, of course, your hormone chapter was like really fun for me to read, especially because you use a lot of analogies and make it kind of like, you know, thinking of some visual images, like, you know, like going into a club and you have the, the bouncer and, so you know, you can, sometimes you can get in and you can't get in depending on what's going on. It's like looking at receptor sites on a cell and it just helps to visualize things and make things really, really easy to understand. So I really encourage the listeners to pick this book up to understand just what's happening in your body and it doesn't have to be complicated. You know, it really is simplified down. So um, can you guys kind of talk a little bit about this whole, you know, insulin, triglyceride thing, because I think a lot of times people think, I have high triglycerides, so therefore I have to not eat fat, you know, and but really getting that even whole grains, even these, you know, grains with lots of fiber that are supposed to lower my cholesterol, like oatmeal, for example, that that can actually do, you know, more detrimental effects than, than the positive. Can you speak a little about that? Sure. Um, I guess I'll, I'll start off by saying that uh, cholesterides are a form of fat that circulates in your bloodstream. And so when people measure their blood, uh, they have a lipid panel, and they measure what lipids are circulating in their bloodstream, they're measuring what triglycerides are present in their bloodstream. And um, the interesting thing that, you know, and it sounds very simple and, and almost deceptively simple that by eating fat, you would increase the amount of fat that's circulating in your bloodstream, but as any uh, endocrinologist or naturopath would know, um, things are not that cut and dry. They're not that simple, and that's not physiologically accurate. Um, the thing that's really interesting is that um, the thing that the, the dietary factor that is most closely associated with elevated blood triglycerides is the overconsumption of carbohydrate. And so understand that our, our perspective is not that carbohydrate is inherently damaging. It is not that it is a bad thing and to be avoided. I think the key concept, again, kind of going back to that, that word that we use in the book, that over-carbsumption, um, is the overconsumption of that highly processed carbohydrate that comes from nutrient-poor so- sources that cause an unhealthy psychological response. And so what you end up with is it's the Oreos and the Doritos and the, um, you know, the, the caramel macchiato that's a monstrous dose of sugar. Um, all of those things are super normally stimulating. Um, and all of that that are very, all of those that are very carbohydrate dense easily add up to excessive consumption of carbohydrate in your diet. And what happens is that your body is unable to store large amounts of carbohydrate as carbohydrate, and your liver will take that excess carbohydrate and transform it into, which then is uh, temporarily circulated in your bloodstream as triglycerides. So when you measure triglycerides in your blood, you're getting sort of an indirect measure in some senses, and there's a lot of factors that play into that, but there's an indirect measure of um, what's going on with your potentially excessive carbohydrate intake. So mm-hmm. understand that that's a, it's a complex equation. There's a lot of different factors that play into that. But one of the easiest and simplest and we think most health-promoting ways to reduce your blood triglycerides is to reduce the amount of processed carbohydrate you're eating. Mm-hmm. Okay. So removing the grains out of the diet. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> no, totally. And, and thank you for, for defining triglycerides because I sometimes forget, you know, maybe maybe people don't know what that is. But, yeah, so um, so taking the grains out, taking out the, the processed stuff. So what about, like, you know, what about popcorn, for example? What's your what's your guys' take on, on corn? Because I had that asked to me recently. Can I have popcorn if I do this? Sure. And <laughs> I think it's important to note that it's not just the Doritos and the orange pizza that have the propensity to promote this overconsumption. And those are not the only, like, nutrient-poor foods. In the book, we give several examples of a, an unhealthy kind of hormonal response to food. And we use, and I'm making the quotey fingers here, we use healthy foods, you know, things that are, uh, it's the whole grain, whole grain pasta or whole wheat bread. It's the low-fat uh, Dannon light and fit yogurt. It's, 
it's the low-fat frozen yogurt. It's the stuff that you would typically think of as healthy, but it meets the criteria of nutrient-poor, often super normally stimulating, uh, often carbohydrate or calorie-dense foods that promote that over-carbsumption. And, you know, when it comes to grains, people often don't think of corn as a grain because traditionally it's been uh, one of the staple vegetables, again, quotey fingers on our plate, but botanically <laughs> corn is a grain. And aside from the science, it behaves very similarly in our bodies to grains. So it's relatively carbohydrate-dense uh, compared to other fruits and vegetables, things like, you know, kale and spinach and asparagus. It's rather nutrient-poor. It's got a lot of starch and not a lot of dense micronutrients. And much like grains such as wheat or rye or barley, it also contains potential aromatic proteins that may interfere with gut function and may interfere with your immune system. Now, in the book, we explain, look, we don't sure how some of these problematic proteins work in things like corn or oats because they simply haven't been studied in anywhere near as much detail as proteins such as gluten, which would be found in things like wheat. But just because they haven't been studied, we're having a hard time making a case for including them in your diet on a regular basis when, again, they're nutrient-poor, they're calorie and carbohydrate-dense. Corn is the foundation for a lot of our processed carbohydrate products. Um, and you've got much better carbohydrate choices in fruits and vegetables. So, frankly, we kind of can't make a, a case to include them in your diet on a regular basis with all of those potentially problematic downsides and not really a lot of upsides. The yeah. one quick thing I'll add to that is, is actually sort of the concept of making an optimal choice. And we really think that in the book and in our seminars, we, we strive to present sort of best-case scenario. And we're not super interested in, in figuring out or discussing, like, what is, what's less bad? You know, is corn less bad than wheat? Is agave worse or less bad than honey? See those things as largely irrelevant because we're, we're really trying to create an optimal scenario. And your optimal scenario is that you choose nutrient-dense, uh, you know, nutrient-dense foods that don't promote any sort of unhealthy psychological response or unhealthy hormonal response and don't disrupt your gut barrier or your immune system. So it kind of goes back to our four good food standards, but like the real crux of it is corn is not optimal, even if it might be less bad than wheat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Just want to get it as, as best as we can, you know? Yeah, I, I fully agree with that. Um, I love, there's a section in your book where you go, you get really, re, like, really practical, really realistic. Okay, so what does this look like, look like on a daily basis? Someone who would eat a diet that does not match your, you know, your um, good food standards, your good food principles, and then uh, someone who does eat according to that, what's, what does it really look like on a, in a normal day in the life of? Um, so let's just, can you give us, like, a little spotlight, like a little snapshot of what that would look like for somebody who's, who is eating this way? What would it look like, like, from when they wake up until when they go to bed? Sure. Well, I'll, I mean, I'll describe what our day looks like. Um, there you go. We wake, up without, we wake up without an alarm clock, feeling totally ready to go, pretty energetic, like there's none of this, you know, need to stumble into the kitchen for the coffee pot. In fact, I haven't had any caffeine in almost two years now. Um, so you wake up, you feel pretty ready to go, energetic, wake up naturally. You go about your day, you eat your breakfast within about an hour of waking, uh, that gives you also some great energy, and then I'm able to go for three, four, five hours, no problem, until lunchtime. I'm not hungry. My energy levels are great. I, I don't have that kind of hungry, mungry, tired, cranky, if I don't eat in two hours, I'm going to, like, you know, punch a baby kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and what I, do you usually have I for breakfast lunch? while you're talking? Sure. For breakfast, I usually do, I kind of am a little bit of a creature of habit. I try to break out. So sometimes I do eggs and I'll do like three eggs, a half an avocado, some sauteed spinach, or sometimes I'll do a sweet potato scramble with that with like some sweet potatoes and peppers and onions. Um, sometimes I do like a fresh salsa on top of it. We also, Dr. Lowe, I'll eat a burger for dinner, I mean for breakfast. Mm -hmm. I'll go right out and throw it on the grill and crank that up first thing in the morning because getting out of, like, the traditional breakfast food is really quite liberating. Yeah, for sure. So, And then lunch. What would you have for lunch? I'm getting all personal. 
Yeah, lunch varies. I mean, sometimes I'll do, I usually do um, leftovers from dinner the night before, so that's usually pretty easy. We try to make extra leftovers. Otherwise, I'll just do some protein. I'll do burgers often or salmon burgers. Um, I'll cook some fish up. Sometimes if I'm feeling lazy, I'll do like a grilled, you know, just a plain grilled chicken breast and throw it on top of a salad. But it's just basically protein, a whole bunch of veggies. I often throw some fruit in at lunch, especially now because it's summertime. And um, mm -hmm. I'll either use some olive oil in the salad dressing or maybe throw some coconut flakes on top of my chicken breast. So um, kind of basic. We, we kind of go through a lot of butter in this house, too, an awful lot of clarified <laughs> butter. And yeah, I just started cooking with ghee and actually having a little bit of ghee just like straight, and I'm obsessed with it. I don't know why I waited so long. I've been telling patients, use ghee, you know, use clarified butter, and so I finally started using it. So, yay! <laughs> Delicious. Delicious. I love it. Butter, butter yeah. makes everything better. I agree. Go ahead. Um, the key is that between meals, I'm not getting energy drops. I'm not getting fluctuations in like mood. I'm not getting cranky. I'm not getting hungry. You know, my body is really good at running on fat for fuel. I'm, I'm what we what we would call fat adapted. And because I have dietary fat in each of my meals, I'm really good. My body is really good at mobilizing fat for fuel and keeping my energy levels and my focus and my mental clarity really clear between meals. So, you know, mm -hmm. I'm able to go um, running on that really stable fuel source four or five hours between breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, one of the biggest things I've noticed since my first Whole30 is that my energy levels are exactly the same at 6 in the morning as they are at noon, as they are at 3 in the afternoon and 6 o'clock at night. I don't have that mid-afternoon slump. I don't need that cup of coffee or that little blast of sugar to get me through my day. So that's really one of the, the biggest benefits is I just I feel like I have more time in my day because I have more energy to do stuff, which is great. Mm -hmm. And then about nine o'clock at night or so, we you know, where the TV's been off for a while or the, you know, computer's been off, the phone's been put away, we wind down for about an hour, we'll read or drink some tea or, you know, do kind of puttering stuff around the house and by nine thirty or ten I'm pretty ready to fall asleep. I fall asleep and sleep really, really well and wake up the next morning ready to do it all over again. I love it. Yeah, same here. I mean, I have energy all day long and I'm go, go, go in the clinic and it's it's crazy sometimes. But I see people are like, why are you so, always in such a good mood? It's like, because I feel really good. You know, I practice yeah. what I preach. I'm, I'm well fueled. I'm people listening to that description probably hate me right now. <laughs> it sounds really idyllic and like fairy tale and too good to be true. But really, honestly, if you've been eating this way for a while, this is just how it is. You feel really, really good, like so good. You didn't actually think you could feel this fantastic. Yeah. I love how you guys have had so many testimonials of people who have done your program. What are some examples of things that you've seen turn around? I mean, we have such this really actually profound and surprising list of different conditions that have been um, reversed, managed, minimized, um, sometimes even completely eliminated um, through the process of completing our Whole30 program and then also um, continuing on with uh, our food recommendations pretty, pretty close to our general recommendations, basically going back to those four good food standards. But everything from... Um, you know, improved, uh, improved glycemic control for type 1 and type 2 diabetics to reductions in uh, arthritis symptoms, uh, chronic pain, improvement in uh, depression and seasonal affective disorder, um, improvement in ADD and ADHD, particularly in children. Um, we've had uh, significant people who've lost significant amounts of weight um, through the Whole30 program, even though that isn't the primary focus, it's reflective of improving the underlying hormonal dysfunction that helped to get people to that unhealthy in the first place. So correcting that helps to get people back on track. And then there's, I mean, and then there's things that we almost can't totally explain, but are really truly amazing and inspiring. We um, had a friend of the family uh, struggling with uh, struggling with fertility and. Her and her husband really wanted to have their own children and hadn't been able to and went through the process of uh, having two uh, two sequences of IVF, weren't able to get pregnant, and then um, went on her Whole30 program, maintained that level of, uh, of dietary choice probably for about three months, 
and then um, did, and the doctor said, you know, it's probably not even worth it to do an IVF. And they did one more round and miraculously, I guess is the word, um, got pregnant. So we're thrilled for them, um, pregnant with twins, no less. Um, so it's one of those things that the list is so long. We actually have a post on our website um, called the Whole 38 is the Testimonials. Um, that lists the different conditions and symptoms that people have written to us about that have been uh, managed or reversed altogether after their whole 30. And uh, if people are interested, they can they can view the comprehensive list on our website. And you, you've had a lot of people lose a pretty substantial amount of weight. What's kind of like an average bit of weight that people might expect to lose? I mean, you don't want them to expect to lose, but what what have people, you know, been averaging? So we did a poll of about 1,000 Whole30 participants at the end of last year to ask them how many lost weight or improved their body composition on their Whole30 programs, and 95% of them reported that they had lost weight or improved their body comp without even thinking about weight loss. Um, Interestingly, of the 5% who didn't, many of them wrote into us to tell us they were either on a mass gain program, trying to gain muscle mass, or they were pregnant. So, you know, we kind of can't blame the pregnant ladies for not losing weight. Of um, of the people who did lose weight, I think it's probably fair to say on average they lost between 5 and 12 pounds during their Whole30. We had probably 10% who lost more than 20 pounds, and that was really remarkable. But I think on average, you know, around a 10-pound weight loss is really common depending on where you're coming from, what your health history looks like, uh, and and what your diet used to look like. Some of that may just be a reduction in water weight and, you know, bloating from some of the inflammatory factors kind of leaving your diet. But I do think that people experience real fat loss and real improvement in body composition with their Whole30 in a really healthy and sustainable way that reflects the changes that are happening internally. Now, in your rules, you actually do state that you promise to not weigh yourself during this program, and I and I really resonate with that. I really love that. So why did you make that one of your rules? Well, that's actually a fairly recent change to our, our Whole30 rules. Um, and the biggest reason for that was we felt that people, and, and I think this is, is true of Western society in general, but people particularly on the Whole30 may have heard about it from a friend or family member or read on our website about people who lost weight. I think some people came to the Whole30 with the hope that this would be a weight loss plan. And it's sort of a, maybe it's semantics, but it's really, I think for us, a critical difference of that, yes, you'll probably lose some weight, but that is not the focus of the plan. The focus is resetting your health back to a much, much healthier state. And then the sort of symptom of that improved health will be improved body composition. But what we found was that so many people were like, I'm on day six of my whole 30 and I haven't lost any weight. What am I doing wrong? Or I'm on day 14 of my whole 30 and I'm actually up half a pound. This is totally isn't working. This mustn't be for me. And and people, I think, um, use that numerical representation as a proxy for really tuning into their own bodies and paying attention and, and, and sort of introspecting on how the change in their dietary habits were making them feel and noting the presence or absence of some of these symptoms that have been around for a really long time. And we're really very distracted by that number. And so we, we really ask them, say, like, set that aside, weigh yourself before, weigh yourself after, but the, the learning process during the Whole30 is not about weight loss, and focusing on that number detracts from your ability to learn from the Whole30. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and also, you know, so much going back to the whole psychological aspect of, of doing a program, that anytime you do any kind of health shift where you're doing something totally different, you're really starting to take care of yourself, you're going to have people in your life that are going – what are you doing? You know, this this can't be right. You're taking grains out of your diet. I mean, that's like the base of the food guide pyramid. I mean, or that's crazy. That's too much meat. Or you're eating saturated fat. You're going to die of a heart attack. And I love how you give some tips to deal with that. You say to re, you know to lead by quiet example. What do you mean by that? And what are some other just kind of tips to for for those dealing with the naysayers? Sure. It can be really difficult when you're feeling so good about the healthy changes that you're making, and you've got friends, coworkers, or even particularly difficult when family members are either 
confused by what you're doing or downright, uh, I hate to use the word hostile, but some, but sometimes it can be, it can feel a little hostile. So, you know, we, we cite a couple tips in the book about how to handle situations like this. The first and the most important is just lead by quiet example. You know, we make, you've heard the kind of phrase, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. It's very common when people do the Whole30 and experience these life-altering changes to want to share that with everybody in their scope. I did this. You need to do this. They, they essentially try to kind of cram it down people's throats in a really good-hearted, well-intentioned way. But people in your life may not be ready to hear this right now. They may not be ready to make these same changes. So we talk about leading by quiet example. You know, just continue doing your thing. Eat your healthy food. Change your life in the way that you mean. Uh, and show them by your behaviors and by your actions and by your mood and by how you look and how you interact with them, how much healthier and happier you are. And eventually when they're ready, they'll come to you. They'll notice, people will notice that you look much better. You seem much happier. You you have this glow about you and they'll say, what have you been doing? And that's your opportunity to share with them all of the wonderful information that you've learned during your Whole30 program. You know, we talk about not getting into these discussions over food. When you're sitting around the table, and we talk about this in the book quite a bit, uh, you're, we really think about food and mealtime as a, a really, I hate to use the word sacred, cause it, but I guess a really sacred experience. You know, you, it should be about um, family. It should be about socializing. It should be about culture and building memories and traditions together. And the last place you want to get into an argument about your crazy diet or the fact that your mom won't give up her Diet Coke is at the family dinner table. So really focus on just sharing nourishment with loved ones, focusing on the things that you are you have in common. You know, the, the food is delicious. You've prepared it together. And save those conversations for when you're away from the table. So those are just a few tips, and we outline many more in the book for how you can deal with perhaps conflict with friends and family or those around you, or even just curious questions about what you're doing and be able to answer them in a way that really helps to share this message of good health that you so desperately want to share with other people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And plus, they'll be feeling so good. Their hormones will be so balanced. Their brain chemistry will be so optimized that they'll just feel so calm and collected, and it might not bother them anymore. <laughs> That's the goal. Yeah. <laughs> That's hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, it definitely is just, you know, making it a priority and just and just deciding, you know, this is worth it for me. And I tell my patients when they come into the, the office is that this is um this is an act of really putting your health first and it's this it's it's just valuing, you know, it's valuing your health and you can either decide to make these changes now or, you know, wait down the line when you're just so far on the other side of, of things with your health that it's a lot more to have to repair, so it's worth it. And I love how there's a part in the book where you're like, this isn't hard. Don't say it's hard. You know, you you, you definitely don't sugarcoat things. You're like, this is not hard. You can do this. You, it, you, cancer's hard, you know. I mean, there's there's things out there that are hard. This is not hard. You can do anything for 30 days. Yeah, we, the tough love kind of piece, especially in the Whole30, is one of the – I think that's one of the most often lines quoted, as we say in the pro, about the program – you know, this is not hard. Beating cancer is hard. Quitting heroin is hard. Drinking your coffee black is not hard. And I think everybody can relate to something in their life that they went through that was difficult, truly difficult, truly a challenge, and they overcame that challenge. And when you think about eating fresh, delicious, natural, nutrient-dense foods for 30 days and you compare it against some of these other things you had to deal with in your life, like, it just isn't that difficult. Um, and we try to make it as easy as possible by giving as many tools as we can to help people actually achieve that. And we do temper the tough love. It's not just a, a it's not a boot camp, and we're not tough just for the sake of being tough. We temper that with a lot of encouragement in the book, where we say, we know you can do this. We know you want to do it. We know you've been wanting to do it, to take charge of your health, to improve your health, to change your habits. And now is the day where you step forward and we will help you every step of the way. And I think the combination of tough love with encouragement and the right tools to really help people do it is what is going to help it starts with food, help people be more successful with this program than they have been in the past. 
Yeah. Yep. And this is the kind of lifestyle that you feel satiated. You feel like your blood sugar is balanced. It's not like you don't, you're not struggling through it. I mean, after the first week or so, once you kind of get through some of those detox symptoms and your blood sugar is starting to normalize, you know, it's actually pretty easy after the first week. Yeah, and it's one of those things that, you know, we're at this point where we almost feel we have to remind ourselves that we used to struggle with this. Like, we have not always eaten this way. We went through the, this transitionary period just like everybody else who's kind of learning and, and taking this kind of a program on. And, and we have to remind ourselves what it was like a, a bunch of years ago when we struggled with these things. We had cravings. We, at moments, thought it was hard. And we threw temper tantrums and, you know... <laughs> Um, I think one of the biggest things that we, the biggest questions that people ask us is like, especially when we're talking about going out to eat in a restaurant, for example, or making dinner for a big group of people when we have dinner parties, people will say, oh, it's like so hard to look at a restaurant menu and figure out what you want. But when you do it for long enough, it just becomes old hat. You know, we talk about, okay, so you don't smoke, right? We We tell these people, okay, you don't smoke cigarettes. So when you walk into a convenience store, like the cigarettes behind the counter register, they're not even aware of them because it's just simply not what you do. When I look at a restaurant menu, the Bloomin' Onion or the Cheesy Fries, they don't even register because it's just not on my radar. It's really easy to immediately pick out and spot all of the really good, healthy, delicious food that I want to eat, and we come up with a whole lot of strategies on our website in some free PDFs for how you can kind of make the most of your restaurant experience. So it's not hard, and with time and with practice on the Whole30 for your listeners, it won't be hard. It will just be what you do. Yeah, just forming new habits. That's all it is. It's hard. You know, it's tricky in the beginning, but you'll get it, and then it's super doable, and you're wondering how you ever didn't live like this, really. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's true. That's awesome. You guys are you guys are awesome. Any um any kind of last minute things we flew through this. It's like we're almost hitting an hour now on this show. It's not to feel like we just started talking. Um anything else you want to leave with our listeners about the program or any any other content? Well, I do want to mention, you know, there were so this book for a little while we thought that this book was going to be about eight hundred paleo uh, pages. We were kind of as a joke calling it war and paleo as a little like war on in peace um pun. <laughs> because we thought it was going to be so long, we couldn't include everything we wanted to in the book. So what we've done is created on our website, uh, whole9life.com, we've got a little tab that says our book. And if you click on that, it takes the, it takes the uh, website user to a list of 11 downloadable PDFs that are kind of bonus companions to the book. And they're all free. And this is where we outline a lot more of our practical application stuff. So it's a free principle shopping list, one for omnivores, one for vegetarians and vegans. Uh, we have a free pantry stocking guide for, you know, filling up your pantry with things like good, healthy fats and sauces and spices. We've got uh, information about good food buzzwords. If you're shopping for meat, seafood, and eggs, what do all those words on the label mean? Uh, you know, cage-free versus organic versus free-range. So these PDF downloads, including the one I was just talking about, which is your kind of tips and tricks for dining out, are all available and all free. Again, just more support to help people as they transition into this style of healthy eating. So we encourage everybody to go take a peek at that and use some of those free resources as a way to help guide you through the program um, as you're reading the book, both for your Whole30, but also really for beyond. Awesome. Dallas, Melissa, thank you so much for joining me on the show. It's great. Thank you for writing your book again. You make my job a lot easier. Um, where can listeners m- learn more about you and, and what's what's to come with you guys? Um, well, I'll answer the first part where they can learn more about us. Um, our website is is the uh, whole the number nine life.com. That's whole nine life.com. Um, we also have a Facebook page which is facebook.com slash whole nine, the number nine. Um, and we also have a Whole30 Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash Whole30. Um, but as far as what's to come, um, we are doing a lot of book promotion these days. Um, we're really excited. It's been selling. It's actually um, debuted at number one on Amazon's nutrition list um, last week, and it's been holding steady ever since. We've been in the top 25 on Amazon's book list since the book came out, which is stunning for us and, and obviously exciting. Um, and we are 
toying with the idea of um, developing some new seminar material. We, Melissa accidentally today said something about writing a new book and I think she had a seizure <laughs> because of that. <laughs> we're, not, we're not quite ready to deal with writing another book at this point, but um, that's very much uh, a thought process for us because we do have a lot more um, lifestyle tips and tricks and, and um, programs and education tools that we'd like to share with people. Yeah, we also have some great seminars coming up on the East Coast. We'll be in Boston, Massachusetts in August. We'll be in Hoboken, New Jersey in September. And I think we're going to be rolling out. We've got some book stuff gonna, we're going to roll out. We're going to try to roll out some new material. And then after that, we're going to be spending six weeks doing a little kind of tour through Europe. So we're going to be in Iceland and Copenhagen and Stockholm and Karlstad, Sweden. So um, any international listeners and readers can come visit us out there, too. So we've got a full dance card for the next couple of months, but we're really excited about how things are going. Well, in the meantime, you two better celebrate your success because you have something to be very proud of. Uh, very kind. We appreciate your support. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're all sort of on this same team where our goal is to share good information with people that legitimately permanently changes the quality of their life. And you do great work with that, and we're thrilled to be a part of that. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate it. And and thank you for also having me um, included in the in the book at the beginning of my endorsement. I, I, I opened up the book, and I went, oh, my gosh. Well, I, I fully endorse what you do, and it was cool to, to be in the book, too. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Our pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. All right, you two. You have a fabulous night. Thanks for joining us, and I will talk to you soon. Okay, thanks so thanks much. Thanks so much. Great chatting You're with welcome. you. All right, bye, guys. Bye-bye. All right, y'all, that's the show. Thanks for tuning in, and for you listening live, thanks for kind of um, sticking with us with some of the audio stuff. Um, check out whole9life.com. I love what th- those two are doing. Check out their book. It starts with food. I fully support this this uh, book. It's wonderful. And uh, tune in for next week's show with JJ Virgin. She's the author of Six Weeks to Sleepless and Sexy. And my website's drlaurennowell.com. You guys know me. Have a fabulous week. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. North Pole Hotline. Help! My in-laws are hosting Thanksgiving, and we're bringing the dressing. You mean stuffing? No, dressing. I need cute outfits for everyone. Get to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's kicking off the holidays with stylish denim, velvet tops, the season's best dresses, and 40% off your entire purchase now through Tuesday. 40% off? We'll be stuffing our shopping bags full. And don't forget colorful sweaters and amazing outerwear, too. You can even buy online and pick up in store for free. Ooh, I love an all-you-can-wear buffet. Holiday your heart out at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1118 to 1120. Exclusion supply. See stores for details. North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's giving $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10.